there's a point in your life, no matter who you are in, in Bombay, where you walk up to your mother and you're like, okay, how do you, how do you wear a sari? You know, you ask that question. And that is your entry point of recognizing how to take this nine yards of fabric and how, you know, it's a, it's a huge amount of fabric and you learn to pleat it and fold it and tuck it. And then you learn to walk in it and you recognize the, what it took for your mother, how easy your mother makes it look and how graceful all these people around you are. Like they're getting into, you know, into, you know, into buses and trains with it. It's a, it's a learned skill. It's not, it's not easy. And um, I, in fact, I can even, even, you know, I'm confident enough at this point in my life to openly say that on the first day I tied my sari, it opened up in the middle of the day and I had to be rushed in with my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those moments because like, oh my God, Manjali ki sari kolge. <laughs> and all these people going to my, three of my friends, they were like, ah, you don't you know you have to safety pin it over here, you know? Welcome to That's So Hindu, the podcast brought to you by the Hindu American Foundation. I'm Matt McDermott. In this episode, Sheetal Shah speaks with artist Manjari Sharma about her groundbreaking work Darshan, her ongoing work How to Wear a Sari, plus much more. Hope you enjoy it. podcast That's So Hindu. Today, I'm joined by Manjari Sharma. Manjari Sharma is a lens-based artist that makes work rooted in portraiture, addressing the issues of identity, vulnerability, and personal mythology. Manjari's work has been awarded, published, and exhibited internationally, and has been recognized by the New York Times, CNN, LA Times, and NPR. Her work can be found in the notable private and public permanent collections including the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. Munjuri is a recent transplant to Southern California from Brooklyn, New York, and lives with her husband, two daughters, and their puppy. Welcome, Munjuri. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. It's a, it's a great day. You know what? Um, yesterday was the 21st day of the of the year 2021 in the 21st century. Isn't that a cool fact? That is a very cool fact. I didn't even think about that. Amazing. <laughs> I just, I just read that, you know, um, I, I follow a lot of, a lot of my Indian friends and, you know, there's a lot of them are such geeks about numbers and that was floating around yesterday. They were like, it's, 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 it's such a special day. And obviously it was a really special day in America. So. It all lines up. Amazing. <laughs> well, it's wonderful to reconnect. I think I met you many years ago mm -hmm. when you were working on your Darshan series mm -hmm. and we had a chance to connect then and had an opportunity to see that series and that got us really interested in your work. And mm -hmm. it's um, at least from the HIF perspective, we don't get enough interaction with Hindu artists, uh, mm -hmm. particularly lens-based artist. And mm -hmm. so it was, you know, um, it was something really special for all of us to see your work come alive. Mm -hmm. And I know you've moved on from there mm -hmm. uh, and you've done quite a bit since, but I really want to kind of 
talk through a little bit of your experiences. I want to talk through your work, um, where you've been and, and where you plan on going. Yeah, I mean, that looking back, that was the year 2011. So it's been, you know, a solid decade since, since, since we've known each other, but also since Darshan was planned, came to life. And yeah, it was, it had such a force of its own, you know, to introduce the series a little bit. It was, um, it had been a decade since I had left India. So I came to India as a, as a 21 year old and I came in uh, 2001. And I came here for higher education and art. You know, I still remember packing two two suitcases. I had uh, home ground spices, a pressure cooker, and you know, my essentials, belongings, and my camera, and you know, a whole bunch of expectations of just learning a new world. And I would say my first year, my first ten years, I really immersed myself in the Western world. You know, I grew up in India, surrounded by everything people here celebrate. So it's no surprise. I mean, yoga was a part of my life and Hindu culture was just seamlessly uh, interwoven all through my upbringing and all through my, my, my parents raised me Hindu and they were Hindu. And um, so, but there was never, I mean, I just want to clarify, there was always generous discussions of the Hindu religion really being more of a philosophy, a way of life and, um, you know, principles and, you know, honesty and hard work and, you know, and always having these uh, energies, these, these, these devis and devtas, these uh, gods and goddesses that represent different energies that you can focus on, draw from and, you know, and grow and nurture in your life. So you know, you want to, you want to, you want a symbol of strength and, 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 and devout fervor. You can think about Hanuman and, you know, as a, as a, and his life and what he stood for and, and who he was. And, and a lot of the symbology fuses uh, animals and, and humans and, you know, and the, and the caricatures were just mind blowing to me as a child and they still are to date, but, and they are to my children now. And I'm digressing, but all of that at some point caught up back with me. Um, 10 years later, after having spent all this time, like dipping into art studios and galleries and museums. And, you know, those became so much my life. But uh, a decade later, I was, I was thinking back to some of these beautiful Hindu icons that my parents had introduced me to. And, and just the departure that I'd had from them, you know, I'd gone back to India. And every time I went back into, went back to India, which was one to one to two times a year, I would just uh, dip my, immerse myself back into like it felt like a you know, two weeks of doing everything with my parents and then come back to America. And um, so I felt like Darshan just became, which was a, it was a, um, a recreation of, of nine gods and goddesses, you know, pivotal to um, stories, myth, you know, Hindu mythology. And I spent time recreating them with a team of artisans and craftsmen back in Bombay and I fundraised for it. And it was, it was a crazy journey of three years to try and do it with this like team of like 30, 30 plus Indian artists and craftsmen. And looking back, I feel like when you look back at those type of uh, projects that just take over your life, I'm like, how did, how did it happen? How did it even happen? You know, who, who, who was I at that time and who did, what kind of an, it takes on it takes on a shape of its own is all I'm saying, you know, 
Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Can we, so for just stepping back a little bit for folks who may have not had that amazing opportunity of actually seeing Darshan, can mm. you talk a little bit about actually what it was? I mean, obviously mm. it is photography, but I, people may not understand that you actually used a person mm. and around a person and built up these mm. fantastic, you know, gods and goddesses around different people to create, mm. I mean, these Beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. photos. Um, yeah, they're dioramas. They're life-size dioramas in a way. And, and they are a, a kind of a mix of performance. Of course, there's a photograph at the end, but there's a set, a, you know, and a kind of an elaborately constructed um, set. And then a costumed actor or an actress, a costumed person playing the part of Mahalakshmi or Vishnu or, or or Lord Brahma, you know, they step into this elaborately constructed set. And then, uh, uh, you know, at the, at the very end, a photograph is taken. But really, the, the magic was the, you know, com- you know, compiling all of these layers all the way to the end. And, and, and then this person stepped in as uh, Vishnu or as, you know, coming back from their day job and, 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 and playing the part. Of, of Lord Vishnu and I, you know, I have to draw my, draw um, attention to this fact that you know this year I would have lived in America for as long as I lived in India. So I am equal parts American as I am Indian, and I I I, I recognize the 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 you know the power and the responsibility of that mixed identity, and I feel like Darshan already shows the the that I was mixing those two. Because one of the things that I really, of course, these stories, these illustrations of these gods and goddesses are handed to us through these beautiful paintings and these um, renderings that you grow up with of, you know, Raja Ravi Verma and, you know. uh, But for for me, I really loved the aspect of a human being. So it humanized this idea of God to me. Because in a way, when, you know, as as, as, as Hindus, we're taught to, seek out, um, you know, have this sense of respect for Malakshmi or, you know, or Brahma, the creator, or Vishnu, the, you know, the CEO, like I like to call him, he's like the manager. And then you've got Shiva, who's the destroyer. And each of them have extremely complicated and beautiful, you know, incredibly um, human stories, you know, there they are, uh, they have, issues with greed and envy and you know they they fall from their thrones and they have to rise and earn it back again and you know i a, a lot of these gods are extremely imperfect as as perfect as their renderings are they have, they they really you can see in their scriptures like stories of of falling prey to to many things that us humans do and 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 to me i i love that you know i love that um that as a human being you can rise to Vishnu and you can fall back and you can rise to. So I, I, I love that constant journey of seeking that moment of being, you know, the strength to become Durga. But you, you know, you may not be Durga Monday through Friday, you know, on Wednesday you could, you could slip up. And, but that's, that's the tension of the 59, 51, 49, you know, um, Today I'm 51, but now I'm 49, you know, and that can happen. And and so that's the very, to me, a very human way to, 
to to look at this idea of seeking the, the idea of being a how do you say the devotee and the and the god so you can you can you understand both aspects of it because in a way there's an imperfection on both ends because i think chasing perfection is 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 a is it's it's a mirage as in, in a way for me you know it's, especially as a mother i'm like you know there's no such thing <laughs> i completely i completely agree with you on that one as a mother myself <laughs> so talk to me about the reception that mm-hmm. you received for darshan particularly from non-Indian, non-Hindu audiences, what did, what did people have to say to you? I mean, it was really, it was a very, for, for one, it was really humbling. I didn't explain it for me. It was, a, I was, I was setting on this journey and it was, you know, uh, extremely obsessive for me because it, it, you know, I think a big part of it, it's funny, we're talking about imperfection, but there was a lot of control in this whole thing. So there's a, there's a, there's a huge duality to this because um, um, I just, went on this rant on imperfection, but it was so important for me to render these in this like perfect um, preconceived. My own, my own sketches had to be really matched to perfection. And I really saw this and this is where the art and the, and the uh, mythology, this is where the mythology gets personalized in a way, you know, what I heard versus what I, how I see it versus how I want to render it. And so I, I, I definitely was a very, exacting to my specifications um and so that all that to say that i was lost in that and but of course i needed funding and you know kickstarter was a, a collaborative funding model that i tapped into and uh, it, it was successful and i think it also exposed it to a, a plethora of, of supporters across the globe and so i was mailing my thank you packages to to tokyo and you know to all just all over the world and a lot of a lot of websites picked it up. A lot of blogs picked it up. A lot of people wrote about it. It was extremely humbling and just also, you know, also a great way for me to learn how what how people approach the subject matter. I was I was amazed at how little or how much people knew about this. Or um, or I remember somebody, you know, meeting someone, you know, in the middle of the country, in the in, in the Midwest, who who was an ardent Durga worshiper. And, you know, I just wanted to meet and have a conversation about how all of his like meditations were, were, were focused on Durga and that he was so happy to have a, a piece of that or, you know, how, how much it meant to, meant to him to see layers of it constructed. So, you know, small conversations like that to, to conversations with, you know, whether it was NPR or New York Times or, you know, any one of those like incredible, incredibly, uh, ex- you know, the, uh, formats that exposed the work to such big audiences. And it went on to having shows in museums and, you know, be, be, be collected in places that I'm, I'm so, it's very humbling to me. You know, it's like to, to, to have started just from like a chicken scratch in like your room to just alone completing it, which I remember at one point I was like, how, how am I going to do this? How is this going to even happen? So the fact that it's completed is a huge deal for me. And the fact that it's um, out there in all of these different places. I think my biggest uh, moment was I, I went to India. I went to Bombay to um, Forbes ran it on, the, on its cover. And I, I went into the office and on the, on the, in the building downstairs was a, a what they're called, what, what are called doormen in, in, uh, in, New York are called Watchmen in India. So the Watchmen of the building 
had like these little quarters and he had his, his, his own little temple inside his small quarters and he took his shoes off and he walked in and inside his like little temple, I saw a, the, a framed Lakshmi, my Lakshmi that he was praying to. That is amazing. And that was like my, I will say that was my biggest honor. And I was oh. like, oh, I mean, it, like at this point it was removed. It didn't matter who's made it. It didn't matter who was playing the role. It was now in the hands of someone else. And he made it what it was for him. That's so, incredible. So that was my, that was my big moment. <laughs> I can't think of a better one. Yeah. Yeah. So from, you know, from Darshan, uh, you've kind of, you've moved on uh, yeah. to, do, to do some other, some other works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's, let's talk about some of the other works that, that you have. Um, yeah. Some of them seem to still be ongoing. Um, yeah. One in particular that, that stood out to me was the, the Saris series. Yeah. That, yeah. you're, that you're doing. Uh, yeah. what, what was the impetus behind that? Well, well, actually, before we talk about what led you to it, how about a description of what you're trying to do there? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, very similar to, to Darshan too, I'm very open to what a project is going to teach me. So I might, I might enter into it with what I am interested in exploring, but I'm open over the journey of that project for it to teach me and for it, for my artist statement to be formed around it by the learning of, 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 of create, creating it over the years. Just like Darshan, I was like, Darshan started off, I wanted to make these works. And, but like, as I saw the role play, as I saw what it became, it, 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 uh, it became more complex, you know? And so for the sari, you know, I just remember this moment specifically when I was in, um, it was college sari day, which is a big day in, 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 in your life as a, as a girl in Bombay, because you are, you know, you, you grow up, you grow up like looking at your, you know, the, the elders of the family wear sorry. You might, there, there's a point in your life, no matter who you are in, in Bombay, where you walk up to your mother and you're like, okay, how do you, how do you wear a sorry? You know, you ask that question and that is your entry point of recognizing how to take this nine yards of fabric and how to, you know, it's a, it's a huge amount of fabric and you learn to pleat it and fold it and tuck it. And then you learn to walk in it and you recognize the, what it took for your mother, how easy your mother makes it look and how graceful all these people around you are. Like they're getting into, you know, into, you know, into buses and trains with it, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a learned skill. It's not, it's not easy. And, um, I, in fact, I can even, even, you know, I'm confident enough at this point in my life to openly say that on the first day I tied my sari, it opened up in the middle of the day and I had to be rushed in with my friend. To be, <laughs> to be, I remember those moments was like, Oh my God, Manjali ki sari kol <laughs> and all these people going to my three of my friends, they were like, ah, you don't, you know, you have to safety pin it over here, you know? And so, but I just remember how big that moment was and how my mom was like, which one should we try on? Well, this one's going to be a little easier for you because it's not like, you know, the kind of fabric decides how easy it is to, to fold and how easy it is to, to learn. This is a good learning sorry. You know, I remember she told me that. And so it was a big moment of bonding and also just a moment of handing on the, you know, handing down of a, of a very important tradition, you know. It's like the longest unstitched garment. In, in the world and yeah and 
And it and it is essentially formless until a woman's body gives it form or a body, because of course, you know, trans people wear it and, you know, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it can be worn, but a human body has to give it shape. It is shapeless until, until then. Sure. And, and so that aspect of it is like, I think really beautiful because it's like essentially formless and, but it is once you learn and then there's like immense number of ways to wear it. Right. So depending on what part of the country you are from, you are, you learn a specific way of, of pleating it and wearing it, which, and it's obviously a delicate, beautiful um, experience and dangerous, a dangerous one too. So that's the part that I was like, I was like, you know, you, people see the finished form, but it has a lot of nuances to not only learning how to, uh, to carry yourself in it, but also it, it, it's slipping off your body and you have to learn the places. Oh, it's like there's geometry and physics. There's, you know, there's all kinds of things to it. But then also the stories that my mother told me with each one of these sides. You know, and like, this is a very special one. And this one with every one of them, there, there's a special story. And like, you know, you get, you get handed down these stories and this truth of very special moments. And, um, so from that, I wanted to kind of think of the fact that, oh, this is such a beautiful idea of wearing the sari, but I want to keep thinking about reversing this process. So let's go back to the opening up the sari. And now let's go back to the thread. Now let's go back to the loom. Let's just keep going. Like Let's go back to the cocoon from where the silk comes. And let, let's go back to um, also the fact that there's only 4,000 looms remaining like, you know, in India, because all of them are mechanized. One of the biggest things that Modi did as uh, in Gujarat was that he, he kind of brought this industry, um, kind of like revitalized. And he took a lot of these like old looms and he brought, he, he uh, powered them, that he turned them into power looms, you know? And so the process of it is it's extremely cumbersome. The making of a sari is extremely, extremely complicated and it takes like human strength and the people who make it, it's, it's, a, it's a long, especially a handy, uh, you know, a hand loom. So I went back to the hand looms and I went to Varanasi and that's where a lot of the hand looms still are. And um, I went and worked, you know, to many, many of these, like, I mean, seriously, I took Sia on that trip with me and, I had a, one of my, she has your daughter. She has my daughter. And at the time she was five and I took my, my trusted, my, one of my best friends who assisted me on the job and his name is Ankit. And he was there to wrangle Sia and help me, you know, just help me with the process. And he, he took Sia away into the village to just walk around and learn about like the small villages in Varanasi while I was photographing. And I had these like this mind blowing experience of going and le- learning about how these these you know first I I went to the place where I could see the the the, the cocoons from where the the silk cocoons and I photographed them and how they're spun and how they're then taken inside and how these like men sit inside and they they weave with their hands and their feet and it's so much work right my mind is blown and I come back from 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 photographing it and then Sia in the meantime has gone with Ankit 
and he, he, she has, she saw a baby cow be born in, in front of her eyes, you know, like her oh my goodness. she had this experience. I mean, she ran through fields of mustard, like fully Shah Khan style. Like she, she had, I mean, I have these pictures of her. It's, it's hilarious. And I was like, wow, she just went on her own entirely separate Indian journey. And like, she still talks about it, you know, amazing. That was a, that was a, I digress, but you know, that, so that's what the, but this is where the story changed. So I come back and then I'm like, and then I go after doing all of that. I go, I, I go to go to a salesman. I go, I go to a shop where it's sold. And there's a, there's three men in that shop. They welcome me. Of course, I, you know, it's impossible not to buy a bunch of things. And, of you know, and, and, you know, there's chai for everything, for every moment, there's a chai. So that I'm in heaven for. And, and, and this man, he's draping the sari on his body. And he's parading back and forth and he's showing me how beautiful the pallu is. Pallu is the part that hangs off, off your shoulder. And he's demonstrating. And now there's two men demonstrating. This one's got like this crisscross stitch and the other one's got this. And I realized in the entire day of me photographing the making of a sari, there's not one woman that I've encountered except for the ladies who helped me with Sia, who, who were in the back, who would call their husbands and the husbands are the weavers and the husbands are the salesmen and the husbands are the, look, I, my mind was kind of just blown by that aspect that, you know, it's not even a female object until it comes on a, on a body, on a, on yeah. a woman's body. And then the entire process. And of course we've got incredible like uh, designers, you know, high end with uh, female designers and you know but it that story of it being a, a, this decorative object and I was like cert certainly I'm not draping the um, sari on my body and going and playing basketball that's for sure you know so so there was that as this this aspect of it where I was like it also demonstrates you know a, 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 a patriarchal control um, the sari does you know, I mean, it's like it's it's a decorative object and it, it, it makes me look so delicate and beautiful. But my 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 physical actions are limited, even though I see women run and jump on buses with it. You know, you can you can there's anything that can be mastered, but, you know, it's not exactly a. Uh, a, a, a dress of convenience of, of action and convenience, you know. As as a woman who hasn't grown up wearing it, as a woman who spent like a decade in America, you know, there was that side of me that was also looking at it from a, a completely opposing perspective, not taking away from its grace and beauty, but also just recognizing, you know, how, how, um, how, how little it's like story may have been controlled by a woman being on the back end of it. So yeah, absolutely. Because, so, you know, I, I mean, when I spent, I spent my, my summers in India and mm -hmm. you see it, it's just part of the way of life there. Yeah. And everyone from the lady who's cooking or chopping your vegetables or somebody who might be, you know, mopping your floors, if it's a woman, they're all done in, in saris and they go about it with complete ease. ease. It, yeah. it, I mean, it's just, it's just part of their being. It just flows, but yeah. I, I'm not sure anyone has, thought through is this perhaps the most comfortable or the most practical thing for me right. to be wearing when I'm doing all of these things but to them it's it's every day yeah and, it, and it's practical uh probably for for certain set actions that have been decided by who you know so that's that was the just another that that aspect you know the the aspect of me who has studied women in changing India in my college 
in Bombay or or, or, or as I continue on my journey of, of you know, uh, of feminism, uh, you know, I'm also just, as an artist, I recognize the beauty. I recognize the chaos of managing it. I recognize the danger of walking in it. And I also recognize the control from the societal aspect. And, and so I didn't want to leave that out of my, um, my representation, my pictorial representation. So there are certainly those, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a product of, of I'm, a, I'm an Indian. I, I, I will forever love the sari. So I'm sure that there are many pictures in there where you can clearly have like photographed my chachis and my masis in that project. So I've photographed my, I walked into people's homes, retired doctors who talked about with their saris with great love and wore them and showed, showed them to me. And that was beautiful. And then I also photographed, um, you know, a very young 13 year old girl trying to manage wearing it and putting it on. And, you know, the, the, uh, the element of fear and control being a part of it. So that's what how to wear a sari is about, and and th- those parts of it where that where it becomes a more a dark uh, story um, was the journey I found myself on. So, and is yeah. this is this an ongoing series? Is this something you're continuing, or have you wrapped it up? It's ongoing. Um, you know, I can't wait to get back to Varanasi or other parts of India, but you know, travels canceled and has been for a year. So I, I'm actually pretty homesick and can't wait to get back to India. So absolutely. Yeah. Now, is, is the, the future of this, is it going to be showcased or are you gonna have a show or have you already had one? Actually, it's not been shown yet. Um, it's, it's, you know, and I think but a big part of it is that it's ongoing. And yeah. so, well, let me ask you this. Yeah. How do you, how do you know whether it's um, this particular pro- project or mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, it was Darshan or anyone, how do you know when it's done? Because, I mean, something like how to wear a sari could seem endless. It could go on forever. I mean, I think that, I think that you know, being done is, uh, it's a great question. I think most artists will, you know, I had a project called the Shower Series and I knew it was done because the five years after photographing it, um, the lease ended and I lost the shower. So I moved on from that shower. Fair and enough. Sometimes that's one way projects end. You know, your, <laughs> your, your shower is stolen, you know. Very practical. Uh, uh, it was the best shower in Brooklyn. I still think about it. Um, <laughs> you know, I was I was so blown away. I was like 27 and there was marble in my shower. It was like the best, you know, you, you to end up with a, a, a window anywhere in New York City is a big deal, but there was a window in the shower and then light streamed through it. And I was like, I will never leave this apartment, you know. Um, but, you know, things, things, um, I think you just know when you know, you, you just know when you know, that's a part of it. But also I don't think that it's hinging on, it's not hinging, I mean, it's, it's, People who show the work, they're not waiting for it to be done. What they do, they, they are they are waiting for you to be done playing. So if you're not, if you're not sure, um, like I might want to take one of the things that I'm interested in with how to make a sari, how to wear a sari, or even with, with my project Lost and Resurrection for my mom is to, I am I actually am scheduled to go see a uh, a fabric printer and I want to make some saris. So I want to take some of these pictures and and put them on to saris and I want the pictures of this the, the story of the sari to become a sari or I want the story of my mother 
to become a sari. So I wear that sari around my body and I'm closer to my mother. So I, I feel like th- th- that was another thing, you know, a t-shirt, a t-shirt can have a purpose. It can say something. It can represent that, you know, this is the college you went to or, or that you love this X beer or, you know, whatever you want your t-shirt to say. It, and so I want my sari to have that purpose where I wear it and it, and it comes from um, a story that means has a meaning to me. So I'm, I'm so in a way how to wear a sari, I'm still continuing to play with. It's a very straight photographic project right now, but I want it to become something more. So that's amazing. I really hope that happens for you. (laughs) As soon as I can start visiting spaces. I mean, it's like everything is on hold, you know, I can't wait for the vaccine. I was going to say as a, as a, you know, a photographer, um, this must be a particularly challenging period for you uh, in terms of what it limits you in. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's limiting in that um, if, if you are a collaborative artist, which I consider myself uh, yeah. to be, you know, working with new people is, is a little bit difficult right now. You know, people are not really uh, engaging with those that they don't know anything about. You know, everyone's keeping their distance. Uh, I have a body of work that I'm working with in swimming pools. And, and that one specifically requires me to go seek out other people's pools. Um, in fact, in um, I had a, a, a body of work. I had Darshan was uh, being shown in um, in Carlos Museum in Atlanta uh, during the last year, and we had a and they commissioned me to do a uh, a projection inside a swimming pool. And that body of work had been worked on for months, um, and it had to be canceled. So it is those type of things. That, you know, like the patrons' pool was scheduled, and people were invited, but. You know, you're not, we're not gathering right now. We're not congregating. So those things have limited, um, you know, travels limited. We, I have actually a show that has opened, that opened yesterday in Denmark. And I would have probably been there for the opening. So. Oh, oh no. What is it? Uh, what, what are they show, showcasing? They're actually showcasing um, uh, To See Your Face, which is a body of work that was um, co- commissioned by the Met. So it was shown at the Met and then it has traveled a few places, but right now it's opening at the uh, Louisiana Museum of Modern Art in in Denmark. And then it travels to uh, the Kunsthalle in Mannheim later in the year. Wow. I hope I get to go. I hope so too. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So so let's, uh, you know, let's talk about... um, the this other work that you did you briefly mentioned when we were talking about the sari something that's obviously very personal to you um mm-hmm. you know uh the loss and resurrection series uh mm-hmm. i i mean i've i've seen a number of the pictures on on your website and they're absolutely touching they're they're of your parents mm-hmm. and you know instead of me talking about it how about you you kind of give us the background and and the story there yeah, and I, you know, and I think my mom is so deeply tied into every one of these uh, uh, bodies of work we've already talked about. So darshan is like, you know, my mom was the spiritual keel of the family, and she's the one who took me for the darshans my whole life. You know, she was the one who took the whole family. She was like, okay, because my dad loved road tripping, and I would say in that sense, I'm like this cocktail of faith and logic, because my dad was the road tripper, he was the scientist, and you know, my mom was a she loved language. She loved poetry. She loved, um, uh, you know, she studied her, her master's was, was in literature. And so she was just really a, a humanities, a lifelong humanities student. And so she, 
every time we road tripped and she was the one who was like, she was like, well, if we're going to Mysore, we're going to this temple. You know, if we're, she, she was, that was her journey. She was, she loved darshans and she really timed things for us. And so, so that was darshan. And then how to wear a sari is obviously so deeply connected to her. And, um, you know, right around when my daughter was born, my mom started to, um, you know, she's, she kind of had a sharp decline in her mental faculties and she uh, had a, a really kind of a fast onset of um, frontotemporal dementia, which specifically affects the frontal and the temporal lobe. Um, and that it's a variety of dementia that particularly affects your language. So in a matter of like a year and a half, she lost her speech. And so it was, it was obviously a very difficult time. And I think, um, you know, I would say that my camera was my savior in that where, you know, there were many moments where I could not do much else, but to, I feel like she was disappearing so fast. These pictures for me were like, I'm, I'm keeping record of everything. I'm going to just keep, I'm going to keep shooting. I'm going to keep shooting everything. And over the years, cause it's been ongoing for 10 years now. Um, it's a miracle. We thought we all, all, almost lost her last year. So it's miraculous that she's, she just turned 69. Um, so this started, this started like very early for her, you know, too early, you know, she was barely 60. And so it's, it's, a, it, it is a difficult, it's a difficult body of work for me to talk about, but I will say that again, in that spirit of, of learning what a project is showing you, I have learned that these, these pictures are not just about my mother, but they're also about my father. And it's, 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 we've all changed. We've all transformed. But I'd love to see, I'd love to see who my dad has become. Because I think a big part of it was, you know, very much, I think my parents really had that stereotypical role where my mom was the homemaker. You know, of course, like every minute she got, she read and she shared and she, her mind was always growing. And my dad was the, you know, the traditional breadwinner. And he, you know, she like handed him, don't forget your glasses on his way out. You know, I, she was, she was that person. She was like the foundation of the family. She kept it together for all of us. So for her to disassemble, we've all had to, we've all had to, we've all had to like become somebody that we didn't know we were capable of being. Cause we were all, I mean, you know, as we're a small family of four, my brother already has Asperger's. And so in a way, my dad has been like, okay, I've got to, it's time for me to take care of her. And, you know, I don't know if you ever had a moment of saying that because he just slipped into doing that, but I've really seen him become the caretaker and this role be reversed. And I feel like there's a lot of, I have a lot of pride in that because I think you don't see enough imagery of, of Indian men serving their wives. You know, that's just, there's, there is a traditional stereotyping of roles in India and you, you know, you, of course things are changing. And of course you have women in the, in the workforce everywhere. And like they're, as the, as they've, it's just keeps growing, you know, and, you know, there is more and more equity and, you know, of course, God knows we're fighting for that equity here in America, but we're definitely fighting out East, you know, harder, harder and harder than here. And so I see um, something really beautiful in that relationship. I, I see like a, a kind of a reverse serving, not that my dad wouldn't like, 
run to help her before, but now it's just like she can't, she's incapable of doing anything. And I see her, I see him feed her, wipe her, walk her, you know, and he's got, he's got, you know, she's got awkward manners and, you know, she's lost weight and she's become a very physically, very different than she was, but it hasn't affected the pride in his relationship. And it's, he, and I think that that is a, it's a beautiful journey for my, for my, for me, document as my own personal history and legacy for my children. But also, um, I think it, I, I think it's an important story for India. It's an important story to tell. Absolutely. I think it's an important story, not just for India, but, but even here, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm based here in New York and socialize with a lot of my, my son's, uh, my son's friends, parents. And, you know, even though there is what we might say more equality in the relationships here, there's still an imbalance, Um, still an imbalance where ultimately a lot of this stuff does fall on the mom, right? The mom keeps it all together. Actually, you know, my, my husband was, was telling me yesterday, he was like, you know, you're, you're getting, you're hitting 40 soon. You really need to go to the doctor and at least have a checkup because he's like, you're kind of central to our ecosystem. (laughs) Something happens to you. Like, what are we going to do? You know? I mean, <laughs> so at least he acknowledges this, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's so true, right? If something happens to the mom, yeah. what happens to everybody else? Yeah. Yeah. yeah this, it's, it's, it's such a, it's very universal because, you know, yeah. you know, I think moms just slip into those roles. Um, those are the roles that, you know, those are the roles that since time immemorial, you know, those are the roles we've known of and those are the roles we slip into. And I think, uh, of course we, we can all say it's changing, but you know, changing is not, is, is, is a very abstract term that, that means different in different parts of the world. Another thing that I wanted to uh, emphasizes that there's not enough representation of people of color in dementia. Yes. And, 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 and people talk about this all the time. Um, and I was actually less aware of that, but you know, I, I've recognized this now It's like every, uh, Alzheimer's catalog or every, uh, every, the Alzheimer's association catalog or the, this, the representation in general, we know media representation is, is skewed, uh, whether it's Patagonia or it's, uh, you know, it's like we have, people of color are less represented, but specifically, I think there's a lot of it. There's a very less understanding of dementia in India. You know, my dad has been experienced even today, you know, he's walking with him. He's like, it's cow, Yeah. You know, it's what, and dad's like, dementia is like, you know, it's like something that you've, Oh, she's, she's forgetting now because she's old. Oh no, it's not. She's not forgetting because she's old. This is a condition. And you know, there's, so when we see ourselves represented, we're more interested in learning. And I think, and you know, it actually, um, there's uh, uh, black people are, are extremely affected by dementia, but you don't see them represented. Um, the stories are not represented. I, think I also recognize that it's difficult. For a long time, these pictures just like sat on my hard drive. And there was a, you don't want to see, who wants to see, um, the fragility of life, you know, who wants to see that your parent is not who you wish they were, you know, but there is an education in there. 
and there's and there are it's bigger than you. It's, this is bigger than what happened to my family. And I think that's what photographs become. They become, um, you know, ways for their points of history, not just your history, but your history is history. And so I think that's the part where all of you know, taking agency of your identity, and especially now for me, this pluralistic identity. And I recognize it's a responsibility, the story to be told in India, and it has been told in India. Um, so it was covered by midday. It was covered, but there were papers that covered the story of my, the journey of my mom and dad. Also, I want to say another like thing about India. We're talking with neighbors and um, my dad has gone to the same like path, walking path, like a little jogger's park in the back of the house with my mother for the last 10 years now. And I, and you know, first she was, you know, repeating one word over and over. Then it went to her only way of connecting was she wanted to touch her forehead to another person's forehead. She used to do this like kind of forehead tap. I've seen her tap foreheads with Hindus, with Muslims, with people in burqas, with, you know, it has been, to see the community rise has been a really beautiful thing. And, you know, just a shout out to that, that, you know, we, people have, people have dementia, people have autism, people have, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, things that limit their ability, but we, you know, as a society, we don't need to keep them hidden. We need to, we need to share these stories and we need to share these people and we need to, it, it, there's a benefit for everybody to, to be together. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. I, I think you're spot on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think in general within uh, Indian society, Mm-hmm. Mental health issues as a broad category yeah. is very stigmatized yeah. and is not very well understood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, uh, it's amazing that you're doing this work and that it's been, you know, publicized there and that story has come out that yeah. you know, even though your mother has dementia, she's still a person. She's still able to connect. Mm. And, you know, it's there, there shouldn't be a stigma associated with it right yeah 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 and I think that you know kind of loops back to this expectation of perfection and I think if we dismiss you know if if it's all in progress you know I think that we think things are black and white but you know whereas I as we age we recognize that there we have to we must allow for multiple realities and that is the fact right so I think from that perspective understanding um you know, but you could, you could put things into boxes like, you know, Hindu, Muslim, black, white, and brown, Indian, you know, or you can spend the time to recognize what each of these represent and what they hold and then what they mean to you as opposed to taking them as, you know, there's like, it's a, it's a different pill to swallow when you're trying to take it in, in this like labeled category. Um, and with it come all, you know, all the, all the, what do you call it, fake news you've read about it. So it's just, just, but it all takes time. So it's, it kind of comes down to if you're willing to invest, then you get something back from it. Um, And that, you know, kind of goes back to like that brilliant 22 year old poet that's shaken our country yesterday. And she's like, you know, how she closed her um, poem was that there's always light if you're willing to see it, if you're willing to be it. And it's like such a brilliant, because that is such a universal theme. It's like, how much time do you want to invest in your hope? 
Because if you do, then you'll find it. And then, and then you'll recognize that when you do, you also become it. And when you become it, you're letting someone else find it. So that is like a beautiful ladder and such a breath of fresh air for, for America to hear that, those type of, that type of messaging. You know, we so need it. Yeah, absolutely. So need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you, Manjuri. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with all your future work. Hopefully this pandemic uh, will end soon. We'll get some vaccines and get you traveling again. So <laughs> we, can, we can get the Sari series uh, continuing and, and the rest of us can actually see uh, the, full, the full work. I'm really looking forward to it. So it has been a, a pleasure and I wish you the best of luck with... Uh, any future endeavors. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you to Hindu American Foundation there for all the meaningful work that they do. Well, that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners. You can help ensure that more of these get made by making a donation to HAF at www.hinduamerican.org slash donate.